This episode of the Cinema Vention Podcast is brought to you by Rotting Wonk, RozJ001, Jack Wolf, and Wearmall 3. If you want to become one of the names listed, go support the show today at patreon.com slash wscottis1. Hi, I'm W. Scott is one, and I have not seen the movie Quiz Show. Increasing his cultural IQ, one movie at a time. This is Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Quiz Show, which my guest has seen before. He is the host of the BVJ show and the voice that introduces every Cinemavention show. Please welcome back to the show, Jamie Lewis. Hey, big voice, Jay. Welcome back to the show. How you doing? Hello. How you doing, man? Very well, very well. As we're talking about game shows, I have the sparkly lights going on behind me. Yeah, right. Because you cannot have game shows without flashing lights. I think it's the law. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's uh, that's that's written in the Constitution. Um, in case you didn't know that, I mean, I think Indeed. that's. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, uh, Jay, you and I are, you know, uh, I I felt like this was a good movie to pick because in honor of National Game Show Day uh, today, I think uh, this is the movie on everything. Like this, this is the only like game show movie that I know of in terms of. I mean, I guess there's Slumdog Millionaire, but other than that, like, you know, there's not really much else, is there? Yeah, it's a little innocuous game show, movie movie about a game show that you wouldn't think, you know, would be interesting or popular or anything like that. But it, it, it turned out to be uh, quite compelling. I mean, uh, a nice a nice retelling of uh, with some artistic license, of course, mm-hmm. of the events that happened way back when. And it answers a lot of questions. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, and you and I are uh, game show fanatics and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, patrons, you'll definitely want to uh, stick around because uh, Jay and I are going to be talking about uh you know, our love of game shows and everything later on in the show. I mean, we'll touch on it a little bit during the episode, but, uh, but I'm, I'm dedicating an extra extended conversation to go real in depth about game shows. So, so become a patron if you want to hear, um, our conversation on that. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and, uh, go over the stats like we always do at the beginning of the show. So Quiz Show is available for rent or purchase on DVD and Blu-ray in physical stores and on all major internet distributors. It is, however, not currently available to stream on a streaming platform in the U.S. as of right now. Uh, Quiz Show was released by Buena Vista Pictures Distribution on September 16, 1994. In case you didn't know, that's Disney. Uh, The movie was directed by Robert Redford. Yeah, the same Robert Redford from Captain America the Winter Soldier that we just covered couple episodes ago <laughs> and, and uh stars uh john church uh ralph fines Turturro. yeah ralph fines rob morrow david hamer and paul schofield the movie had a budget of 31 million and only made 52.2 million in theaters 24.8 million of that was domestic by the way ouch not 
Uh, not a big success. Yeah, not a big box office grab, I guess. <laughs> uh, Jay, do you recall when you first saw this movie, though? I recall this. Was, I did not see this in theaters. Um, this was one of those that didn't really grab you until uh, it made its way to, like, the HBOs and the Cinemaxes of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I did see it, you know, it was it was still fairly recent and it really just piqued my interest. But for some reason, when it was in the theaters, I didn't want to see it then. Yeah. I did want to see it, you know, in the comfort of my own home. Yeah. That, like that, when I watch my other uh, game shows. Yeah. This, yeah, that, this movie is kind of that way. Like, yeah, it, it, um, just because it was a failure, um, maybe in the box office, I mean, not even a failure, just more so like it just barely broke even. You know, and so it it, it probably, got, you know, would have gotten more success anyway, outside of the theaters anyway. So, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it, that as would long make as it sense. breaks even, I mean, yeah, station, you know, the movies, the, the movie studio doesn't have to you know, uh, call it a tax write off or anything like that. Yeah, that right. Good. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and a lot of folks um, in our discord were saying that they um, and, in fact, I, I believe uh, Captain Jack in our discord said that. He had um, seen it on um, in passing on HBO so many times, but he had never actually watched the movie beginning to end. Um, and uh, and he did so during our watch party, uh, which is another perk that patrons get as well. Um, <laughs> I, I also feel like it's one of those movies that you have to kind of be in the genre. Like you have to enjoy the genre in order to enjoy yeah, the movie a little bit. It's not one of those that'll grab you immediately when you turn it on or if you're walking past the television and it's on and you don't really see, you don't really recognize the uh, style of the movie. Maybe you may recognize one of the stars and say, Oh, what are they doing? And then you try to figure out what the movie is. But if you know what the subject matter is about and you're a bit of a nerd about it, bit of a pedant. Yeah. Then you will tune into this. Yeah. Well, and if you're a pedant, you'll also know the details that they uh, that they slightly uh, exaggerated for. Um, There's some artistic the license going yeah. on. Here. Mm-hmm. This just just Hollywood movie magic is what they're calling it. Yeah, yeah, but they did get a lot of stuff right, though they did. Um, but before we actually talk about the movie, um, I just want to say so. So Jay, you have uh, you have um, listened to season two of World's Greatest Con, right? I have. Yes, and uh, and I and that one is certainly my favorite season of World's Greatest Con because of all the um, all the game show stuff that they talked about. And if you haven't listened to uh, season two of World's Greatest Con, I can't recommend it enough because um, because in a, and in a lot of cases there were um, a lot of the stories that they talked about I did already know of previously, just because you know you and I have seen all the documentaries about game shows and all the scandals and everything but in many cases there was a lot there was still a lot of new information that i didn't even know and i thought i knew all of the information there was to know about it you know there's a lot more information that you may think is out there that should be out there right i mean um there's uh there's documentaries and uh blogs wikis of course and uh, in fact, I found uh, the other day a guy who'd spent 15 minutes on the entrances themselves. 
between Drew Carey's entrance and Bob Barker's entrance. And I watched every minute of it. It was really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like comparing their two entrances or whatever? Comparing the production values. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. Yes, there between is. Between those two. Yeah. And he, he just takes a deep dive. And when I finished, I said, I, I, I agree with all this. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's amazing. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about prices right in in just a moment here. Um, but getting back to uh, World's Greatest Con, um, what I want to say about um the particularly the first episode of season two, which talks about this twenty one scandal that this movie is based off of. Um, I, I got to tell you, Brian, um, you know, tells the entire story um that it's that this movie is based off of, and honestly. I, I, we would be doing an injustice if we tried to, you know, basically explain what happened. So I'm, I'm just going to point everyone to that particular episode. If you want to hear all the nuances about it, because, because uh, Brian and uh, the Donnie dog and pony show audio crew just did an amazing job uh, with that episode and all of the episodes, um, not just in season two, but all the episodes in world's greatest con are absolutely amazing. So, um, but I did want to talk about a couple of things about this movie. Um, like the things that I want to talk about mainly have to do with comparing real life to what was portrayed in the movie. Um, and there, and like I mentioned, you know, there are, you know, there's some artistic, uh, um, free, um, a little artistic freedom that was given to this movie, but I did enjoy this adaptation of it. And I think, largely like they took the concept of this real life story and I, and I actually think they did a pretty splendid job of making it entertaining to enjoy you know sure some of the stuff felt a little cheesy because it was it was a movie retelling of the story but overall jay i don't know about you but i thought that this was a pretty good rendition of the story and i i was i thought it was very entertaining it puts me in the mindset of a different movie that has absolutely nothing to do with game shows. Uh, Wag the Dog. Uh, if you haven't seen that, that was a, a very good one. Uh, talking about the lead up to a war, fake war, to cover up a presidential scandal. And the reason why it resonated with me that way is because uh, it takes you, with some artistic license, of course, into the process. How do we get here? How do we get from point A to point B? How do we get from uh, quiz show star and darling to uh, students and kids everywhere to a man so disgraced Stephen J. Fred Muggs wouldn't talk to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and yeah, no, and and that was an interesting story. In fact, I listened to the World's Greatest Con episode again to just sort of refresh my memory on you know, this story, the one thing that I thought was a bit more dramatized than it, you know, really needed to be was the fact that they really kind of portrayed, um, Herbie, um, Stemple as sort of the, you know, kind of, kind of like the nerdy know-it-all kind of, um, you, you know, so, and I thought it was interesting the way that he was portrayed because I don't know, it just, it, it, it was one of those situations where I thought like, Okay, so they need like the, it, it's like it, you know a nerd versus the handsome guy, right? And I just I didn't I didn't get that vibe. Stemple, the way they portrayed Stemple was 
exactly how advertising executives think. Yeah. See, uh, they wanted, uh, obviously, today, it's cool to be a nerd. You get the girl, blah, 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 blah. You get all, you, if you know that you're smart, you can walk away with a bank. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but that people didn't think that way back then. In fact, if there was something different about you, you were called out for it and you were made an example of in your uh, quote unquote friend group. And it was not cool to be a bookworm or smart or a person who enjoys the library or things like that, because that's where you go and fill up your brain with what could be determined as useless trivia. Mm-hmm. But it will win you, you know, bar trivia nights, it'll win you game nights, it'll win you, obviously, uh, money on a quiz show. Mm-hmm. And obviously, since the, since the, um, since the game shows were pretty much beholden to sponsors because they only had one mm-hmm. at that time, because, you know, because each sponsor sponsored one show and, uh, they had a lot of power. Yes, they to did. To say what they say, what they want. As long as whoever is on screen moving is moving product, then they're happy. And yeah. as long as that image is moving product, then they're happy. Yeah. Well, and and I would argue that um the 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 quiz show scandals of the fifty because it wasn't just twenty one. It there were other game shows during this time that um that were really like you know that were being investigated by the Justice Department at this time, right? And it was all it was one of the things that kind of brought down the entire genre almost at one point. Um, and it wasn't until later on when um you know. It, uh, when it was retooled and sort of re- revived that it was like, there was a time period where quiz shows were just like banished because, because they had been so tarnished at this point, you know? So, um, and I think oh, that was it, part it, it's a matter yeah. of, it's a matter of the public trust. Yeah. Which was very, very important, especially for television networks, which was a new thing. Right. right. And everybody, since everybody was used to radio, they knew uh, how, how they were going to act with uh, radio. They knew that uh, they knew that the trust of the public was there because radio had always been there mm-hmm. and television was a new thing, which is why uh, when, you know, when they were doing advertisements for quiz show uh, in the movie, they always said it was coast to coast and it's nationwide. Because yeah. The national broadcasting company. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is a, this was, they wanted to hype it up as much as possible because Back then, appointment viewing was a thing. There was no well, consumer-friendly yeah. way to well, well, and not time only that, shift it um, for you. Yeah, I was going to say not only that, but everything was um, everything was live. Nothing was taped back then, you know. So, like when they were doing those game shows, they were live on the spot at that point. Yeah, so. they had a rudimentary uh, kinescope type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, um, yeah, which is what ultimately brought them down. <laughs> yeah, man, and um, and and we'll talk more about the um about the Geritol sponsor thing in a second here. Um, but, uh, but, but what I thought was interesting about this portrayal of this story is, you know, it, it, you know, it almost seemed like Stemple was being portrayed as sort of like, you know, he's the, he's the angel of this story. Like he's, he's the honest man getting conned by the, by the big guy, 
you know, and it seemed to me that, you know, he was, you, you know, he was being honest in his gameplay. I mean, I, I mean, there was one impl- there was one confession from him, um, you know, that he eventually gave to the prosecutor uh, about, you know, he was also feeding questions. But other than that, there seemed to be no indication that he himself was cheating as well. Um, and, and it almost made it and in the movie, it almost made it seem like um, he was kicked for ratings, um, you know, because like ratings were slipping. For, but from all accounts, it, um, it, ratings were not like ratings were still booming at this point. Um, you know, we, we alluded to it earlier. It was like the only reason he was actually booted from the show was because, you know, he hit the money limit um, that the sponsor Geritol was willing to pay. So, you know, and if anything, you know, he was he was getting fed the questions just like Charles Van Duren was right. Like he wasn't he wasn't a squeaky clean guy either. No, but uh, he fit what the advertisers wanted to sell you. The every man, the workaday schlub, the uh, person who gets up and goes to work and really doesn't complain. And then he goes home to his wife, maybe one to two kids. Uh, is basically working hard for the American dream. And for a while, that is what the sponsor wanted. The ratings were good, but not that good. They could be better. They could be better. Why? With a pretty face, with an intellectual, with a name that had clout. Mm-hmm. Albeit clout in New York or whatever it was. Uh, because, uh, you know, they, they uh, love their Ivy League colleges and they love their Ivy League professors. And it, it, it seemed to be a, a, a way to stack the deck against Stemple, who really didn't have, who really had nothing but the show. Yeah. As his claim to fame. Yeah. He well, had nothing. He, he, he wasn't, he wasn't portrayed as someone who had any, real interests yeah well and and not only that but it but it but this movie seemed more like a getting revenge on charles story more than anything else right like it was basically a story of to borrow the phrase nice guys finish last you know what i mean like that's sort of what it felt like right because charles because charles was the one was the handsome one and so he was the one that got all the opportunity and stemple didn't Charles got a spot on the Today Show, and Stemple couldn't even get Dan Enright to agree him to put on a put him on a variety show, right? So it almost felt like a revenge story more than it was anything else. Until um, until you know, Stemple realizes at the end of the movie that um, that Charles is a victim in all of this too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to put it into more modern contemporary terms, if you're cheating on uh, a married person and they leave that married person for you, what makes you think they're not going to do it for the next person? Mm-hmm. You don't know. You don't think of that while you're in the midst of this wonderful brand new relationship, this taboo relationship that uh, really shouldn't have happened, but it is happening. And aren't you glad you're in it? Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then at the end you realize you've just been, Shoot up and spit out. Yeah, and they're you, on to the next one. Yeah, you've been hoodwinked. It doesn't matter yeah. about you mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want you to, and I want you to remember all of all of the things that Herb went through after 
Van Doren 1. Did you mm-hmm. see how terribly uh, he was treated by the showrunners? Yeah. Wouldn't even take his call. Yeah. Well, and in many ways, it was sort of the, you know, the first, I mean, I know it's, I know it's New York, not Hollywood at this point, but it was basically like, you know, how, um, you know, how all like television, they say television executives will find any chance to screw you over. Like this is that on full display here. Right. And it was probably one of the very first times that that, you know, ever happened, at least that we know of in the public. Right. Well, it's the biggest. Sure. The biggest of the day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to garner a lot of attention. 21 was one of those, one of those, uh, big, big, big shows, um, you know, post governmental regulation. Yeah. That, uh, that was garnering a lot of attention. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and, and it was, and, and, and the only reason that that was because the, because the show that 21 was basically, for all intents and purposes, it was pretty much copied almost directly from, I mean, yes, they made their own changes to it, but it was pretty much a copy of the $64,000 question over on CBS. Right. And the only reason it's the $64,000 question is because originally it was the $64 question because yeah, like you said, government regulations um, required um, a certain limit on, on prize winnings. And then when they um, when they lifted it and just said, like, you know, you know, when the floodgates opened, for lack of a better term, then, you know, obviously it led to <laughs> shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that we had um, that we have back in the, you know, it was I mean, new at the time. But like back then it was like, you know, who could imagine winning a million dollars on a game show, you know? And a little fun fact. um, <laughs> That I that blew my mind when I heard it. I heard it uh, just the other day. Watching, I was watching the game show show, the new documentary series. Yeah, so ABC. good. By the way, so very good. very good. Uh, millionaire. Well, not well. Talking about trying to give away a million dollars, which should be hard because it's a million dollars. But for the show Deal or No Deal, it was too hard. So hard, in fact that they were loading multiple million dollar cases onto the show mm-hmm. trying to get somebody to get one of them. Yeah. And I laughed hard when I heard that. Yeah, no, because like, yeah, that's funny that they were trying to stack the deck and that's, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, well, cause it, cause it's one of those situations where, um, well, because you would, because in my mind, you're thinking like, why would they, why would the network or syndication or whatever, why would they want to give all, like all of this money away? And it's mainly because like, they're going to make so much money back in publicity if someone wins the, the million dollars, right? Oh, yeah. so, why would yeah. you watch a game that nobody could win? Yeah. Right. That only works in carnivals and one episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> kind of backfired on them too. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's yeah, no, that's why um that's why it's so good. Yeah, that's It's it it it's um it's part of the appeal of game shows especially uh here in America is because uh you can grab all of this cash, all of these prizes, trips that you didn't even know you wanted to go. <laughs> right yeah trips to places you didn't even know you wanted to go 
uh, until it's handed to you on a silver platter for just knowing stupid trivia or just uh, putting a ball into a hole or knowing the right price in the right sequence or knowing the puzzle, whatever, knowing a puzzle. It still still goals me that one of the most popular game shows here in America is just a simple game of hangman. It's right. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. Wheel of very, fortune. Very, very yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, we'll talk about this on the, uh, on the Patreon exclusive feed, but, uh, there were some rumors that my grandma, um, tried to audition for the show. I don't think she ever got on the show, but, uh, but yeah, uh, my mom found it, um, later in, um, in some, like when she was going through stuff, she found it later on and just never told, she never told anybody, but, uh, but yeah, she apparently went out and auditioned and just didn't get the chance, but, but yeah, we found out later. So, uh, that's, that's crazy. Um, but, uh, I, I want to, uh, the other thing that I liked about this movie was the fact that, you know, everything was like so accurate for the time, right? Like all the 1950s cars, um and everything like like by the way side note i guess the only reason they were showing off that car in the beginning was just to set the time period of the movie because i i didn't get the significance of it otherwise because like you know they were like oh it's a new 1958 car just to show that that's the time period they were in i guess because it wasn't ever mentioned ever again after that point i have to believe that uh that was someone's car someone's collectible car heck it might have been jay leno's because we joked been, about yeah. it in the, we <laughs> joked about it during the watch party heck that, that could have been jay leno's and they said we'll just write a specific scene that just has that car in it because 21 never gave away cars no other quiz show that was featured in a movie gave away any cars yeah in fact who i forget who who was even looking at it was it van doren uh who was looking at the car I don't even know. Yeah, I don't remember. Like that that yeah, that's why it was so crazy because it was like, yeah, they showed the one car and I thought that was going to have some significance down the line, but I I I took it as just literally that was just to set what time period they were in and that was it. But um but yeah, and I mean, of course, a car, a new car back then was like <laughs> was like in like in the high thousands back then. So it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but um, inflation is the thing. I mean, Mm-hmm. Yep. It was yeah. It, it, yeah. We all would scoff at a couple thousand dollars now, but if we were back then and we see that price tag of a couple thousand dollars, like ah, someday. Yeah, it's like someday I'll I'll have a thousand dollars and I'll get that car. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Um, but but yeah, but everything about the 1950s is there. You got the cars. You got the technology that they use to tape. Um, I, I, I say tape the show, but not even that to transmit the show. Um, you know, the fact that they were doing all the shows live, the cigarette smoke filling the room. Like it was just all there from the fifties, man. It was, it was perfectly, um, it was a perfect recreation. I thought. Um, yeah, the fifties were before my time. My time started in the seventies. So, uh, I always kind of look back and say, wow, that's, that's how they did things back then. I mean, most, especially when it comes to the technology and the innovations of the time, uh, because, you know, whenever, whenever, um, an innovation was ready to go, um, and they were trying to get people to adapt to it, they would always just flash it, flash it, flash it as, as, as much as they possibly could. 
which is why they would say, you know, we're we're going to be in color or we're going to be in stereo or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you would see the uh, radio stations and television stations make a big deal out of the brand new technology yeah, because it's like, we're it, doing it for you. We're mm-hmm. making the we're making all of the necessary improvements to make your enjoy to make your experience that much more enjoyable. Stay yeah. with us. Please don't go to the other station down the hall. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, yeah, because you mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that it was in color. I mean, yeah, 21 wasn't wasn't even in color yet. It was all black and white back then. Uh, yeah. Not to mention that not very many people even had TVs and, and people back then were like, exactly. TV? If you, like, what do we you, need a TV for? <laughs> you know this because you. I'm going to assume we were in the area of the switchover from standard def programming to high def programming. Yep, I remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were still there were still some things that were still that were still um produced in standard def like football games. Yeah. Um there were the marquee football games, the games of the week, the national games, those would always be in high def, but the B and the C games that were like regional, maybe even hyper local, yeah, those would still only a, be in standard def. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you still had more standard def televisions than high def televisions. Just back then, as you had more uh, black and white televisions than color televisions, it would still be produced in color, but it would be transmitted in black and white. In black and white, yeah, exactly. Um, I did uh, go, go talking about the the whole like <laughs> cigarette smoke and fill in the room. I especially love that one scene where I believe. Was it the prosecutor? I don't remember who it was, but um, but he's about to enjoy a cigar and his lady is like not in the bedroom. So he steps out of the room and smokes. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, you know, the door is still open and the smoke's going to seep in there anyway. Right. That is the reason why non-smoking and smoking sections in restaurants were the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Yep. <laughs> because. You're still the door's still closed. Yeah, you're in the same room with like all the fumes uh, cigarette are still smoked. There. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still remember, like, it, like we would always go to Pizza Hut, right? It was always Pizza Hut where this was, where this was the case, where they would still ask smoking or non-smoking. And I've talked about it on a previous episode, but it wasn't until like the late two thousands, like maybe early twenty tens when we stopped hearing that question again um, in restaurants and stuff. For me, it was Shoney's. It was my very first job still in high school. And uh, I would always hear the servers go smoking and on. And whenever we bust the tables, we always had to grab that deliciously bad looking glass ashtray mm-hmm. and dump that in there. And it was just not something that you wanted to handle on a day. Yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> Thankfully, once I started working, you know, like smoking inside became like, you know, not only not the norm, but like. Against yeah, the we law. went from yeah. <laughs> allowing it to just shaming people publicly. How dare you light up in here? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a non-smoking well, section. Yeah, well, and, and basically to, um, all the way to, um, you know, it being outlawed, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So um, now we have vape bros. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that's the new thing now. Yeah, <laughs> I have. I actually have seen people uh, vape inside of uh, restaurants before. And I'm like, 
Really, dude? Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, technically you could because there's no, uh, I mean, because it's just water vapor coming out. Yeah, so, technically. And yeah, but uh, I've heard someone uh, get asked to leave because they were enjoying their vape too much. Yeah. And it was, and, uh, you know, it's like, hey, we've got children here. Could you, could you not be smoking right yeah. here at the bar? I was like, what? It's vape. And they were like, well, you, you really can't do that in here. Yeah, because the children can see you and they're, they're, they see the pleasure that you're getting from this, uh, even though it's a technicality, even though it's a loophole, you really shouldn't be doing this in here. Yeah, but there's also a bit, uh, there there are people that do it a little bit too much, like, and you know. Oh, no, people. no, no, no. We're not even talking about the trick smokers, you know, yeah, the people yeah, blowing yeah, smoke yeah. rings mm-hmm. and things like that. But, you know, it's <laughs> just like, yeah, could you not do that in here, please? Be a lamb yeah. and don't do that, you know? Yeah, right. Um. Some of my other favorite lines in this film, I'm just going to rapid fire them. Uh, Dan Enright telling Stemple to lose for the cause of education. Okay. And that for 70 yeah. grand, you can afford to be humiliated, right? <laughs> yeah. Look, money had a whole lot more weight back then. Yeah, true. You know? and, and to be fair, he didn't have the money yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Or he's gonna, Or whatever he did have, He'd already spent. And yep. so he's kind of on the hook for him. And Enright knew it. He's yeah. like, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. We'll string you along as much as we want to. And when you're not, uh, uh, when you're not to serving our purpose, we shall get rid of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, Jay, it's interesting how so many things in this life change, but some things never change. Like talking about how corrupt politics is, even back then they were talking about how corrupt politicians are and how it can make things yep. really crazy, right? <laughs> also, what was that line about Eisenhower rumi- rumored to have died or something? Like, what was that line? I, I like, I mean, well, because well, Eisenhower was the president at this time, I think, but yeah. but still, it was like, okay, like. I mean, I, I, you know, what? It, it, it's kind of funny because I almost kind of equate it to pe- what people say about uh, President Biden nowadays, right? <laughs> well, I mean, if you start a rumor in the right place and enough people repeat that rumor, then that rumor becomes fact. Yep. Mm-hmm. And especially keep in mind where that was said. It was said in some of the more powerful circles. So if that gets around in those circles and they go out, and they speak to the masses, the uh, great unwashed, as it were. Uh, well, who's going to question them? Well, yeah. he said Eisenhower is dead, so why not? Yeah. Well, and we even saw that when uh, when it came to uh, you know rumors about the fact that you know of twenty one was corrupt. You know, like yeah, it's like you, you know that. We Who are you going that. to believe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy with clout, with name recognition, or some guy we just watched on television for the last nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love how uh, Stemple, while getting ready to testify to Congress, his main concern is being vindicated about missing the question about best picture. It's like, hey, I could finally and- be uh, vindicated that I was right. And I'm like, my guy, that is not the point right now. <laughs> that is the pedant in us all <laughs> yeah. getting out and being put on display 
uh, right for everybody to see. <laughs> that is something, especially when you know that you are an expert at something, your in, your inner circle knows uh, that you know mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. and now your credibility is being called into question because you, oh my God, say you uh, you got this question wrong. Well, what else don't you know? You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. And it could be, it could be uh, uh, harmful to the peace at the dinner, the dinner table. Yep, yep, absolutely. Speaking of which, how did the uh, prosecutor, he managed to get to, he managed to go to like Charles's family get together, I guess. And like, I guess Charles must have invited him or something. Like, did he invite himself? I think Charles did invite him. Okay. Uh, but why? Uh, yeah, he, and though? I think he did because. No, he, he, um, I think he got invited because he got interrupted when one of the students came in to talk to him and he's, oh, oh well, yeah, that's right. And yep. he said, well, look, here, just go up here uh, and we'll talk, we'll talk more there. And then you could see we were able to meet everybody. Got it. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Cause I was so confused when I saw that, but yeah, no, that was right. Yeah. Cause they, he got interrupted by those, uh, by those students and of course they were young females like young and hungry learners that's what yeah (laughs) well yeah i I don't know about being hungry for learning i think they were hungry for something else if you know what i mean (laughs) yes knowledge and the information that comes along with it yes yeah delicious delicious Hard throbbing knowledge. You, you can believe that if you want. <laughs> also, I love how uh, I love how the prosecutor, by the way, gives Charles a way out. But he's like, you know, just lay low. Don't talk to the press. But what? But what does he do? He talks to the press. The dumb fuck did it anyway. <laughs> well, again, he did as he was told. Yeah. The network, the network, NBC had a statement for him. And he's like, well. I'm I'm innocent. I'm, I'm not gonna. It's it's going to going to put the spotlight. And it's going to put the bullseye on me. Mm-hmm. And after so long of the, you know, at at his core, he really just wanted to teach. He wanted to mold minds. I don't think he really wanted all of the extra attention and all of the false praise yeah. and well, cause he fake also- interest. I yeah. bet you nobody even bought his book. Yeah. Well, cause he also said like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, wh- like me coming out already saying I'm innocent about a thing that's not even made public. Like, Hmm. Pretty suspicious, you know, <laughs> incredibly suspicious. And at, at that point he just wants to be done with this. He's yeah. He, he's completely over it. And at that point you're in what we like to call kill me mode. Mm-hmm. I just want it done. What do I have to do? What do I have to say to end this portion of my life so I can get on with it? I yeah. may not be a teacher. I may be disgraced. I may not have a television job anymore, but yeah. I can look at myself in the mirror and yeah, he, he wants know to lift that I am the weight. a whole person yeah. again. Yeah, he wants to get rid of that weight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, uh, so the consequences, I want to talk about the consequences of the 1950s quiz show scandals, but side note, I just mentioned the word consequences. If you had eagle eyes, you noticed that there was a television on that had truth or consequences hosted by none other than Bob Barker, who would obviously go on to host The Price is Right, of course. So it was like, 
and, and and in my mind, I was thinking back. I'm like, there's no way that was that was an accident, right? They definitely put that in there as like sort of an homage to sort of. I mean, yes, Truth or Consequences was a show that was big back then, but still, like you know, Bob Barker, Price is Right, movie about game shows. Well, it fits the theme. Yeah, it exactly. The theme. So, um, you know, it's it's just little tiny little passing thing. Sort of like the guy who's jealous and he always wears green. It's a bit mm. of a trope, but it's still nice to see. It's a little comfy. Yeah, exactly. While we're on the subject of the prices, right? Though, um, yeah, I mean, talking about like the the whole consequences of the quiz show scandals, there was notably one exception um, to the whole quiz show scandals and the whole game show scandals of the fifties, um, and th- and the only game shows that were able to survive the quiz show scandals were Mark Goodson, Bill Todman game shows. And it was really just because they played by the rules. <laughs> and so it almost became a, you know, a stamp of approval, you know, any game show that had at the end, like this has been a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. Like it was sort of, it was sort of like, you know, it, it was basically given the automatic green light because in many ways, you know, like, they were the one, uh, you know, they were the ones that played by the rules. So they got, they were the authority on all game shows for a while. And in many ways, well, they were back. kind of, they were kind of the ones that profited off of the scandals, really, if we're being honest, right? Well, it goes back to the public trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have Barry and en- you have, uh, what is it? You have Enright. I think it's Barry and Enright. Or Dan Enright. Yeah. yeah. Or- yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the, the name of the company, Barry and Enright. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't really have another crack of success until the Joker's Wild, mm-hmm. which was a different uh, format from a quiz, which was not a quiz show. It was part trivia, part luck of uh, luck of the board, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was not, a, but it was not solely a quiz show, and it really wasn't many quiz shows, you know, at all, it, you know, it killed the format. It really uh, did. Until yeah. Jeopardy came until Jeopardy came along. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. No, Jeopardy was really like, yeah, that was the one show. In fact, um, that was, you know, the quiz show format didn't really come back to television until Merv Griffin, who was a talk show host at this time, you know, he was, he was trying to bring one back to television, but you know, everyone was just so scared of bringing one back because of the scandals. And and Merv tells the story of his wife, Julianne, suggesting, well, why don't you just give the contestants the answers? That's how that um, yeah, as a way to get around that. Right. Which led to the 1964 creation of Jeopardy hosted by Art Fleming. Some people might think uh, that Alex Trebek was the original host. Oh, no, 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 no. Art Fleming um, had a run of it uh, back in the 60s before it became uh, um, syndicated in 1984 with Alex Trebek as the host. And in many ways, you could say Jeopardy saved the television quiz show genre in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. um, Jeopardy was the walking dog. We had to, we imported a legend from the great, from the great up north Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Notable Canadian Alex Trebek came down to the U.S. and just uh, made everybody sit up and learn, mm-hmm. right? Well, uh, because it, it Jeopardy was one of those game shows, and there's very few of them that really get into the zeitgeist of American culture 
like The Price is Right, like Wheel of Fortune, like Jeopardy, you can only really count on, you know, one hand or maybe even two if you stretch it just a little bit of shows that had real staying power. And there were a lot of quiz shows in daytime television, syndicated television that were on for 13 weeks and then gone. Yeah. And in fact, Trebek was a host of a lot of those shows that came and went, by the way, before Je- before he got the gig of Jeopardy, right? Like, if yeah. you look back at Trebek's, um, you know, uh, Wikipedia page, you'll see a ton of game shows that he hosted that were short, very short-lived until he finally got the role of Jeopardy host. So I like yeah. High Rollers, by the way. He, he, I think he did a good yeah, job. Yeah, everyone says High Rollers was a good one. I haven't seen it, but uh, but yeah, everyone says High Rollers was good. Um, it's out there on the YouTube. It's like uh, it's like a, a modified version of the dice game from The Price is Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Um, one of the other things that changed as a result of this, and we we briefly touched on it before, but uh, Geritol was the sponsor of Twenty One, and like you mentioned, Jay, they were there was a lot of you know full like just one sponsor would 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 sponsor the entire show like a lot of game shows at this time at the start of the television in the fifties and sixties, that's how it was set up. And, um, and I believe that it was even the case with, um, in the radio days as well, because, because there were game shows before television, like there were game shows on the radio as well. Um, but it was one of those situations where you would have like a main staple sponsor. Um, and a lot of times because it was the fifties and sixties, of course, there were entire cigarette companies that were sponsoring a lot of these shows, you know, it gives you an idea. Look, of- we had the Flintstones selling Winston cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's all you need to know right there. Yeah, I know. It really does give you an idea of what times were like back then, <laughs> you know, and, and everyone used to smoke on TV even, you know? So it's like, yeah. So actors were recommending cigarettes. Yeah, right. Or, yeah. Were, or we were led to believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I believe um, the quiz show scandals were like, this was a direct result of why, because you'll notice that after the quiz show scandals, you started to not see them on, you know, on game shows anymore, starting in the 70s, or at least not like, you know, full blown, like, you know, sponsoring the entire game show sponsor, um, like they were um you know, back in the day, like, you know, especially, yeah. Cause if you look at a lot of the game shows of the seventies, that's when that trope just went away. And I think the quiz show scandals were a big part of that because like you said, in many ways, the sponsor could dictate um, how the game was played perhaps a little bit too much. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it, well, you know, the um, company X, when we're going to sponsor a full hour of television or a half hour of television, that television product cannot compromise our brand. Our brand is more important than that. The, you are just a line item in the budget, mm-hmm. right? So we are going to protect our brand, even if it means changing your product. So you don't really have any, um, uh, you don't really have much integrity as, as, as far as that's concerned, mm. um, the product is going to be bigger than than the production. Yeah, well, and you know, once we started to get to move away from uh, single show sponsors into, you know, pods of commercials, now um, 
they're still, they still, they don't wield as much power, but, and, you know, and it's not written into their, into their contracts to do, they don't have editorial control, but they could strongly suggest, you know? Yeah. You don't want to have that question. Maybe you don't want to do yeah. that story. Maybe you don't want to have this person on. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, but, but it's definitely a lot more, uh, a lot more tame than it was when they just had full control back then. Yeah, for sure. Indeed. And of course, you know, the scandals, you know, saw legislation being passed to regulate them, of course, which is why, um, you know, you have certain rules set the way that they are, um, in game shows today and, and mainly just so that they couldn't be like, so the game shows just couldn't be rigged like 21 was because, um, and 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 21 gets all of the attention but according to all accounts like 21 was not the only offender of being rigged um you know even the $64,000 question which we uh which we referenced earlier had issues of their own too and it's why in California now because the game shows were filmed in New York back then they're now they've now since moved out to California now and a lot of these game shows um, have a representative from the California C- Gaming Commission whose sole job is just there to make sure everything is above board, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, someone says says the phrase, there ought to be a law. And someone in Washington just comes out of an egg and says, oh, we've got legislation right here. We're ready to go. And, you know. And- yeah. It gets passed down to the states, and uh, and now we have gaming commissions. In we have gaming commissions in several states, especially where, uh, especially where gambling is legal. And yeah, true. All this and that. It's 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 something wild. Yeah, it is. You want to get into that? It's it's tread tread lightly. Tread yeah, carefully. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you got to make sure you're above board for sure. Um. But yeah, and and going over this movie, uh, it inspired me to want to talk about game shows as a whole. And and like I mentioned, patrons, you'll want to listen to Jay and I um, on our extended conversation because I got a lot more to say about about this topic. But um, but uh, let's first answer the question though. Like Jay, why do you think game shows are so popular? Like, what makes them so intriguing? other than the fact that you get to win a lot of cash and prizes. It's the fact that a person doesn't have to have the perfect background. Yeah. The perfect uh, family life, the perfect whatever to, in order to get on a game show and win loads of cash and prizes. It's accessible success. You catch my drift. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's something that me and you, your daddy and your cousin too can all get onto that path. We want to get on a, get onto a game show. Yeah. We can get on. Yeah. Game we show. want to be on if TV. You get the, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and being on TV back in the fifties was huge. Mm-hmm. This is what, uh, Herb had said, uh, you know, I am, I am making the show. Millions of people know me because I'm on TV. They trust me because I'm on TV. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of clout. There was a lot of, um, social clout 
Uh, it wasn't called that back then. Well, it kind of was. Uh, social cloud uh, or um, a way to measure the score. Because if you recall in one of the earlier scenes in the first meeting with Enright and uh, Stemple, uh, he says, well, you know, uh, you're, the prior perception is slipping with our audience. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't like you anymore. They don't trust you anymore. They want something new. And this is where they, it's like, well, it's time for you to lose. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also like a form of management by technology. If, it's, if the management by numbers, right? If the uh, sheet says, uh, this guy's, this guy's slipping. It's time. It's time to get something new. Didn't have anything new, granted, at that time, but. The wheels were set in motion to serve serve the numbers, serve the audience, and get somebody new who will give us big numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and so yeah, I I'm just gonna go over some of my favorite game shows growing up. Of course, Jay, you and I grew up in a very different time period, so I'm sure you'll have some that are not on my list. But I I grew up in the 2000s, so uh, and, and that was a big year for game shows because. I, it, I I don't know about you, but it seemed like in the 90s, game shows just kind of slipped out of favor. And it was kind of more, um, especially in daytime, it was a lot more, um, you know, shows like Oprah and, you know, like a lot of the talk shows were, you know, sort of the thing. And in many ways, we're kind of seeing a resurgence of everybody's got a talk show nowadays, it seems like. Yeah, um, Oprah kicked down the door for, uh, for uh, talk shows uh, hosted by women, hosted by uh, non-white women and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, at at the time uh even one of the cosby kids had uh at her own talk show yeah back in the night but uh so. but yeah but in the 2000s we saw i think we saw kind of a resurgence of game shows because who wants to be a millionaire was like that was the thing everyone was talking about like talk about a cultural phenomenon at this time like it was it was so popular that it's like you know I, you know, I would beg my parents to let me stay up and watch Millionaire because like and it was always a treat when I got to stay up past 8 p.m., 9 p.m. when it would air in prime time on ABC. Um, you know, it so- is rare that television, uh, just a regular bog standard television show can become an event. Mm-hmm. And it was programmed like an event because once yeah. ABC saw that one night brought in just. Ben, just bang zoom numbers yeah he said well if one night can do it two nights can do it too and then we started to do three and four nights and then it was every night yeah then it was every single night and then it just burnt out yeah Um, (laughs) uh you know we had um the, the what is it they uh ways of doing the show were questioned even yeah. by the host Regis Philbin. He's like, and at, at one point he literally said on television as they were signing off, Hey, we need more African-Americans come on and apply to be on the show. Oh, wow. <laughs> that actually happened. You can find it. It's out there on the internet. Wow. Yeah. I will say though, actually, in fact, as of this recording, G- uh, I don't know if you know this, Jay. GSN is actually re-airing those old uh, Regis Philbin primetime episodes right now, like back from the early nineteen ninety, like nineteen ninety nine when they first began, right into the two thousands. Like 
they are doing reruns on GSN right now. So uh, mm, very nice. So yeah, if you somehow missed those episodes back then, uh, they're they're on GSN right now. Of course, in my household, you know that the two game shows that were on when we were around the dinner table at seven o'clock, without fail, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy were like that was our tradition to watch while we were eating dinner at home around the um the dinner table like that those two game shows were on at that time so yeah growing up jeopardy and wheel of fortune did not air in the same hour yeah um, i will remember jeopardy being on first like in four 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 thirty ish and then wheel of fortune maybe six or six thirty because uh, the local channels were experimenting with more news at that time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right after World News Tonight or something like that. Because, uh, yeah, uh, it it aired on separate aired on separate channels here. Uh, yeah. Jeopardy was always on NBC on the NBC affiliate here, and Will of Fortune was on. Actually, it was on. It was on all the affiliates here. It was on. It was on daytime at CBS. It was on uh, early prime on NBC. And then for a while, it was on the local ABC affiliate. So, yeah, it was all over the place. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because, yeah, yeah, because it was always, you know, seven o'clock was wheel. Seven thirty was Jeopardy for me. And that, yeah. And that's interesting. I have heard of that situation happening where, yeah, they were on a lot of um, different um, networks and stuff. I think. Now it's it's kind of settled down to the point where like basically like like you have all the affiliates and it's either they're running Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy side by side and the other affiliate will run Entertainment Tonight and Inside Edition and then the other affiliate will just run Family Feud. Um, that seems to be yeah, where they'll it's, just where give the entire the entire two hour block to Steve Harvey and just run. <laughs> family feud episodes yeah yeah well they had um, they it still had, works yeah no it does well and, and they had other runs that we'll, we'll we'll talk about later we'll talk about later because uh because yeah i want to talk about that some more but um but yeah but wheel and jeopardy were were the tradition and it was and if it was the weekend it was um you know this is local to me but ohio lottery cash explosion was our tradition on saturday nights uh but uh, but in many ways that was also a game show too in a lot of ways. So I mean, yeah, no, it was it was great, man. And my state was late to the lottery game, and um, yeah, it was only on for like a minute. Yeah, that's yeah. we're gonna we're gonna show the balls and those are your numbers. Hey, good night. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then they still did that too. In fact, um, in between Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, yeah, there was one minute dedicated to just showing the numbers for the pick three, pick four, pick five all of that so um and uh and of course my personal favorite and 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 if you were ever sick and stayed home from school i don't care who you were at 11 a.m that tv would or or in some cases 10 a.m i think because it was i think it was at 10 a.m then they moved it to 11 a.m but at 11 a.m that tv would always be tuned into cbs for the prices right um absolutely and and you know price is right just kind of became known for kids as the show you watch when you were sick or in my case the show that was on during the summer um and i and in my and i think i was kind of one of the last generations of kids who still grew up with bob barker hosting the price is right because i still remember in the early 2000s when he was still the host of the show you know watching those shows even back then and uh 
not to date anybody here, but I had just finished fifth grade in the summer of 07 when, when he retired. So, yeah. Yes. I got the news that Drew Carey was hosting on while I was on a, that was on a summer road trip up to, uh, up to New York, I think. Yeah. 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 I was going up to New York. Uh, and I had, uh, gotten sick and someone was telling me about Drew Carey as I was uh, puking at a rest stop. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, no, it, this isn't for that. This was something else. Yeah, yeah. No, you uh, were not yeah. puking because Drew Carey was the host of The Price is Right now. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. And I, you know, for the record, I uh, comedians as game show hosts, nothing wrong with that. I love it. Yeah. I love it because, uh, you know, for a while, uh, the the contestants were to be treated like uh, not so much royalty, but with kid gloves. Yeah. And you needed a comedian who was quick on their feet and ready to uh, throw out a little bit of an insult, a little bit of a, I, are you sure? Why did you do that? Something that would question up something that uh, some of the hosts of the time, the Jack Pars, the, uh, the, the Bob Barkers, the Bill Cullens, the Tom mm-hmm. Kennedys, though they would never do. They would never make fun of the contestant because the contestant is the reason the host has the job. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And, and that was, and I, I, I have war. I will admit it took me, I, I had to warm up to Drew Carey and I think Drew Carey had to warm up to the prices. Right. I, those first couple years it, he hosted were a little rocky, I think, but and over that time, is the reason why this guy took a deep dive and we all, I will give you the link to that. It's a, uh, uh, illogical. Uh, on the YouTube channel. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And he, and, and like I said, he, he does a deep dive into the production being put around Bob and the production being put around Drew. And it, once they found it, it works. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. and it worked every single time. Yeah. No. And, and it took them a couple of years to figure it out. But yeah, like you said, once they did, like, now, nowadays, I will tune in all the time. I love Drew on The Price is Right. Love, love it. Like, it's great. I, I want him to just show the stuff during the stop downs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to see that because, you know, you know, Drew's an improv guy. Well, and you also you know, know, well, you also know Drew, uh, Drew has a potty mouth when the cameras are turned off. <laughs> well, he wrote a book called uh, Dirty Jokes in Beer. Yep. <laughs> which is a good read. You should, you know, you, you, if you are so inclined, you can read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, quickly, Jay, what are what are some of your favorites? We'll, we'll go into it a little bit more in the extended conversation. But what are some of your favorite game shows? Growing up, my favorites were um, The Price is Right, of course. The mm-hmm. $25,000 Pyramid. I was not a Jeopardy fan. Not mm. a big Wheel of Fortune fan either. Uh, because I would look at these game shows and I think, Oh man, I would love to be on those game shows. And then I'm going to get really sad because I grew up before the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm. I'm legally blind. So I'm not going to be able to see the chalkboard or whatever screen they would have to tell you what, what letters were around. And, you know, back then, if you couldn't do it, you couldn't be on the show. They would find it, it was a reason to say no. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, you know, once, once you have people of different abilities, uh, people in wheelchairs, people, um, people blind, uh, uh, 
various other things. Once they started to get on uh, TV shows as well, it was it was an eye opening, uh, a bit of a watershed moment. Uh, as far as other game shows are concerned, uh, my favorite uh, I didn't get until um, I didn't get until like ninety seven, ninety eight. Finders Keepers, but not the Nickelodeon Finders Keepers, mm. the syndicated version of Finders Keepers. Okay, and it was always it was always paired with a syndicated version of Double Dare. We didn't have cable. Uh, 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 we didn't have cable in the eighties. Uh, we didn't get it until like, oh, I want to say ninety one, ninety two, something like that. Way earlier than I did. I didn't get it until <laughs> the twenty ten. So there you oh, go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I also loved Scrabble. Oh, just, and, just straight up Scrabble? They played no, it no, on no. TV? Chuck Woolery showed, Chuck Woolery hosted a game show called Scrabble, and it was a massive representation of the game board. If you ever, if you've never looked at it, it's a good watch if you are a set nerd. Okay. Because it is 80s as all get out. <laughs> um, it, it complete with a gigantic rotating cube that is the Scrabble board. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, one more that because I love elaborate sets uh, is now you see it. Not mm-hmm. only do we have uh, a huge, cumbersome motorized board that uh, was you know. This is the days before television monitors. And I only found it again because of uh, game show network and the internet. The, I, you know, I, that game was before my time. Uh, but you had, not only do you have the gigantic motorized cumbersome board that rotated. And back then you had the time to watch it rotate and it be compelling television. But you had the theme song, which was done by the legend Quincy Jones. Mm. chump change if you're looking for it right on yeah 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 no this is great and if you want to hear us talk about this some more i've got more thoughts to say about uh some more game shows uh patrons uh uh it, um yeah just keep tuning into this and i need to know feed. which version of double dare you like we'll save that for the after all right okay absolutely all right. So getting back to uh to the movie rating. Uh so Jay, uh what do you rate the movie quiz show? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It is a thumbs up, but I am I'm a game show nerd. So Yeah. I'm going to want to watch this. Much like I will consume any of the content that has to deal with game shows, the production of game shows, the engineering behind it and the science behind it. So, yeah, I'm going to love something like this. Yeah. I would almost treat it as a documentary. Yeah, absolutely. I it, It's funny because I have the exact same uh, view on this movie because I give it a thumbs up as well. Like it was it was good storytelling. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Right. But but I also put in the caveat of I'm I'm probably slightly biased because I enjoy anything game show related. Right. So. And I feel like that's probably why it didn't do so well in theaters, but, but I thought it was good. Right. So, well, it's, uh, again, it's, it's something that referenced probably something a lot older than that movie's audience. Yeah. Right? True. Uh, and you know, it, it's, uh, it, 
it's talking about something historical that wasn't really hugely important in the realm of, I mean, we're talking about daytime television or time television mm-hmm. that uh, morphed into daytime television when it comes to game shows. And daytime television is usually just kind of waterfall TV, stuff that's in the doctor's office, stuff that's on in the doctor's office Yep. Uh, where, you know, they just turn it on the television and they just turn it on a channel and it's there all day. They don't, nobody's watching it. You're just, you're just listening to it or you just may glance up and say, uh, from a wall, from now looking at your phone because magazines are gone because of COVID and, and well, you magazines just happen to look are up at the television. gone because magazines, but yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, magazines are in a digital form in the form of blogs and podcasts now. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's not something that is, that is as compelling as prime time. There's, there has never been something called appointment daytime viewing. Yeah, there right? really isn't. Yeah. There hasn't been anything like that. It's always been something on prime time. It's always been a weekend event like a football game or a sports in general. Uh, and 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 it's per- and that and the perfect demonstration of that point is the fact that on Pluto now there's literally um old game shows that just run twenty four seven on Pluto. You know, like yeah. e- So talk about you know, like you know, like that is narrow casting to yeah. the narrow casting to the nth degree. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad that Pluto is still around because when it started, it 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 looked just like a a YouTube playlist. Yeah, but as it uh, as it growed and as uh, more, um, uh, I think who who owns it now is it? Uh, well, no, Viacom? it's Paramount. Well, yeah, Viacom oh, yeah, yeah. was the one who originally bought it, and then you know, Viacom got absorbed into Paramount, and then yes, and then CBS, and so yeah, so that's why a lot of the like legitimate, I say legitimate, but like all the network and cable stuff. That's why it all started to come, showing up on Pluto was after Viacom bought it. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an outlet a that they can uh, use the stuff that they own. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can sell ads on it. Yeah. And it's, and they do. And it's cheap because they literally do, don't have to pay anything. They literally just have to air Zero stuff that they've overhead. already uh, and, shot. You know, yeah. it's it is the great um, the great difference between broadcasting and netcasting because if you're if this was just a standalone television network they would just put up a, a tower and shoot it out to everybody and everybody could just pick it up when they want uh it's they're pulling it uh yeah you're pushing out you push it out to everybody in the internet uh you as the consumer have to pull it in mm-hmm. and you have to make a connection and the more connections that are made Obviously, the more expensive this gets. However, if you're a big place like Paramount, you've already got the back end in place because you've already got CBS Network. So, yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, um, a lot of a lot of people don't know this because you know I used to be in the internet industry as well. Uh, a lot of the stuff is cached at the local uh, the local areas. 
Uh, yeah, like there's local CDNs in local in, servers, in a, in a local local yeah. uh, local CDNs, local networks. Yep. Um, it's to minimize the uh, minimize the path because uh, in the early days of the internet. Now I'm going to show my age. In the early <laughs> days of the internet, uh, when cable modems were a thing, uh, it was just it was this new technology that people had to be sold on. Uh, yeah. And uh, back in the day. Uh, there was, there was really just one company and it, and they partnered with a bunch of the regional cable operators, uh, especially this one here, uh, in my, in my hometown. Uh, and basically the network was a simple network in which every, uh, every cable modem had to get onto the network. Say, if you're here in Tennessee, you had to talk to the big server in California. Yeah. Now multiply that by many, many thousands because different cable operators were selling those modems. And once people saw it, they wanted one and always on connection and always on broadband connection, always on unmetered, unfettered connection. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Mm-hmm. Give me, give it all to me. It used to be called the widow maker. You understand? All right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you have that glut of traffic. And I was on a conference call with a bunch of the cable uh, cable operators at the time, and they were not happy. <laughs> they yeah. wanted they, they wanted a different type, a different type of network topology uh, yeah. to minimize that minimize that path to make that yeah. path short. Well, and and, it's and then why, once yeah and that's why we have content delivery networks aka exactly CDNs once, now yeah yes mm-hmm. so, so yeah absolutely it, it is it, it is fun to see technology progress yeah absolutely and jay it, it it's great to have you on the show uh talk about it and uh again 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 i i can't stress this enough patreon.com slash w scott is one because jay and i are going to talk more about um some of the game shows that we like uh but jay uh where can the folks find uh more of what you do online the thing i want to point everybody to is this new audio uh fiction pro- podcast that i am in it's called peculiar radio you can go ahead and sign up at see the whole thing at peculiarradio.com it's about to drop everybody come episodes are getting ready to roll out uh sometime in the summertime so go ahead and be one of the first ones yeah get on in there we're in the last days of our uh indiegogo campaign we want to thank you if you've already uh yeah if you've already uh, made a contribution, uh, and we are just so excited. Um, this is a completely international, remote, one hundred percent remote production. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, and everybody, everybody learned something new. If you if you brought a set of skills to the table, we're going to put you on something new. So you had to learn. So uh, someone who had never written a script, they learned how to write. They learned how to uh, pitch ideas. They learned how to uh, uh, edit audio to live direct. It was amazing to see everybody just take this new knowledge and run with it. So you're going to hear the fruitage of this uh, at uh, peculiarradio.com. 
I also, assume it, I assume it'll be on every uh, podcatcher of um, that. It, yeah. it it will be everywhere. There there won't be a place you can't get it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I can be found at bigvoicej.com. Uh, you can go past my big face. So you can hear both the BVJ show over on Mixcloud, which was charting at some point for some reason. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, there better <laughs> be an investigation into that. Uh, and uh, you can also hear BVJ's bedtime stories. We're creeping up on 500 episodes. And that's where we'll stop. Right that on. means I can put. Uh, you can put me into your ears every single night and I can read you a bedtime story and you can drift off to sleep. Right on, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I love how you always describe that the podcast that puts you to sleep by design. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> there are a lot of uh, podcasts where you don't want to fall asleep. But uh, yeah, <laughs> some people think it's an insult uh, to, when you uh, <laughs> when you sleep during your podcast. Hopefully no one sleeps. uh through this podcast but i mean you never know we'll see we don't judge we don't judge <laughs> of course i do a watch party for each of the movies that we review on this show if you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners you can do so on our discord server over at discord.cinemavention.com lots of comments um that are left in there uh so definitely check that out if you can't make it to the party though um you don't have to worry because we have the watch parties available on demand exclusively to everyone who supports the show patreon.com slash w scott is one again 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 it's going to be where we have our extended conversation i'm so excited to have this conversation i, I this is gonna be fun uh don't forget that i'm live twice a week playing games with the community on my twitch over at twitch.tv slash w scott is one Send in your thoughts about anything we discussed on the show today. Over, at, You can send it to our Discord, or you can send an email to email at cinemavention.com. That is the email address. And see all the previous movies I've covered on this show at cinemavention.com. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing the intro and outro music. He's over at incompetech.com. Next week, we're going to be discussing the movie Footloose with Sam Lewis. Oh, man, I'm going to have so much to say about this movie. I already know it. It's going to be fun to talk about this movie with him. And I can't wait to talk about it. And I can't wait for you to hear us talk about it. And until then, we'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 